Welcome to a brand new episode of the Sunday Sauce. I'm here with the legend, Ron Duguay. A very special episode to me because uh, I'm a big Ranger fan, and uh, this is this is awesome. Ron Duguay was drafted in 1977, 13th overall by the New York Rangers. Ron, welcome to my show. I really appreciate you being here. Well, good to be with you. Uh, a friend of Lauren is a friend of mine. Thank you so much. And I, Lauren, when you listen to this, thank you so much. This is like a dream come true. Um, Ron, what what was it like playing for the New York Rangers in the late 70s and, and early 80s? I can only imagine the craziness of New York City. Well, let me just say that after getting drafted by the Rangers and going to New York and first being introduced to the city, Madison Square Garden, the fans, I really had no idea. I mean, I'm a small time, small town guy from uh, northern Ontario, Sudbury, Ontario, and um, I, um, I, 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 let's just say that it was in me to be able to deal with all the distractions, all the noise and the energy. And you don't know that until you're introduced to it. So um, it all started with that first game at the garden, the exhibition game, me skating, me stepping on the ice and just feeling the energy of the fans. Um, and I just went out and just, I was just myself, you know, I'm a big guy, kind of stand out with the big hair. Right. And I just played hard. Uh, I would, uh, I play with a lot of energy. And so the fans recognize that. So immediately I got this response and as a player, either you're going to enjoy it and play up to it, or you're going to be afraid of it. And so I, it brought the best out of me. That's the stuff on the ice. Now, because it brought the best out of me, I was able to perform. I played, I was drafted as a first round pick. There was expectations and uh, I met those expectations. I, I, you know, I scored 20 goals in my first season. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I provided some value. I played some center on the wing. And once you, get noticeable on the ice while well, they start talking about you, they start writing about you. And so my popularity went up. And from that, um, you doors open for you. And it just so happened that year in 77 studio 54 opened. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I was, I, Roger bear was there in his last season. Mm -hmm. He only played two months, but I got to know him and he started introducing me to some of his friends. And that included going to Studio 54 and meeting a lot of those celebrities that were there. Right. And, uh, you know, I can name names, but there's a lot of them. So I, I became popular on the ice and I became popular off the ice. Right. I wasn't intimidated by it. Um, the city was different back then. Times Square was different. Red Light mm -hmm. District. Mm -hmm. Um and but none of that phased me. In fact, what I did my first season, I didn't stay in the city. I stayed in Long Island to kind of stay out of the traffic area. Mm -hmm. So just kind of uh, have my fun in the city, but go back to kind of where things were more quiet. Second year, went into Westchester. We practiced there, stayed there. Mm -hmm. Wasn't until my third season I felt I was ready. And um, and so in my third season, I move into the city, and that's where things kind of ranched up quite a bit. Uh, Andy Warhol became a friend. He put me on the cover of uh, Interview Magazine. And from that, a lot of people recognized me, not just in the hockey world, but uh, TV worlds, uh, Hollywood and that sort of thing. And I started meeting a lot of interesting characters. So uh, I was it, it was a gradual thing mm -hmm. and I wasn't afraid of it. I uh, I it brought the best out of me. 
So let's go back to the Studio 54 thing. I'm sure this story has been beaten to death, but for people that never heard it, the share, the share story. That's is that is that a true story when you ended up with her with at Gene Simmons house? That is a true story. And I've told it several times. <laughs> uh, you know, I um, you know, I'm, I'm 20. I think I was 24, 23, 24. So if you can just imagine meeting Cher, just meeting Cher. Legendary. I met her through Liza Minnelli, met her. And that was a studio. Um, and so we, we hung out and, um, I'm not going to get into all the details, but we hung out and, uh, she's an interesting character, as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I was very young, immature. Um, and it didn't last very long because it it wasn't necessarily for me. I enjoyed meeting her and being around her, but it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of short lived, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I was around her. Wow. That's so so you kind of actually uh, prior to us getting on, we were actually talking about Sean Avery. So he was you were very fashionable, very like, you know, out there. So he kind of reminds me of of you when he came to the Rangers. He he uh, interned at Vogue. He was very fashionable. He was out there with the models. And uh, but he was a very different player than you. He was you know totally different. But I'm talking about like in the uh, socialite world. Would you agree with that? Um. Yeah, somewhat. I don't know. I know Sean a little bit. I've been mm-hmm. around him. I've interviewed him. I've talked to him. I've watched him play because I was doing uh, television for MSG. Right. He's a colorful guy that oh, yeah. I appreciate. Again, I say that word being noticeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did things on the ice that were a little different. Mm-hmm. He competed hard. He fought. He can score goals. And he enjoyed he enjoyed New York. And for me, if you're going to be in New York, you're going to only be there that one time as an athlete. You may as well, if you can find a way to have fun with it and still be a player, then, and if it's within your character, your comfort zone, then I say do it. And so, yeah, Sean liked, um, he, he liked being out of the box, right? Right. And not the normal guy. So <laughs> I have always, I've always appreciated him as a player. Right. So back in the 70s and 80s, like when you were doing all that stuff, going out to Studio 54, wearing crazy outfits, all that stuff. Did people ever like question your sexuality or anything like that? They're like, no, that Ron Duguay, he's a weirdo. But, you know, back then, I feel like everyone was doing that. So, you know, today, maybe, well, not today, they wouldn't. But I don't know. Do you think anybody questioned you back then that you were doing those weird things? Because the NHL was like, uh, like, like a manly the tough sport back in the seventies and eighties. Now it's like a little bit more toned down. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, listen, if you, if you look at my reputation and the, and some of uh, the women I was around, right. Uh, I don't think it was anyone was questioning what team I was on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, no, that was never a question. Never, mm-hmm. ever. Now, you know, I may walk into a, a, a bill, I may walk into Philadelphia and Boston. They may call me names. Oh, of course. Well, that on. rhymes with my last name. Right. But they knew, you know, that I was the furthest thing from being on the other side. Wow. What? So what was like when you when you went to practice in the early days of the NHL? Right. Because I, I was born in 1989. So, you know. Like when, when you go to a practice in the, in, in the seventies and the eighties, like it, was it, was it like guys just, I can't imagine like now it's like all this crazy equipment guys are skating. Did you, were guys just like smoking cigarettes and doing whatever they wanted in the practice? Or was it like as serious as it was now back then? 
Yeah, no, not even close. Uh, my <laughs> my my first season, it was guys were smoking, and they didn't think of it as a something that would be harmful to their health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have three, four guys smoking. Now they wouldn't smoke in the main room; they'd go in the bathroom and smoke. Right. Uh, but showing up at practice, a lot of the guys, we uh, especially when we were on the road, we were out having fun. Mm-hmm. That meant drinking. Right. And then the following day in practice, a lot of us were hungover, mm-hmm. bad breath, throwing up. And <laughs> and the coaches back then were the guys before us, generation before us. They did the same thing. So they understood it. As long as you showed up on the ice and you did your best to work hard, and as long as you showed up for games to compete, right? a lot of that was allowed because the team, the coaches saw it as – Team bonding, mm-hmm. even though it was a little bit hurtful to your health, they saw it as team bonding because team bonding is more important than the guy who's perfect, perfect right. health, perfect this, perfect that. But when you bond with your teammates, especially when it goes into the playoffs or you'll fight for the guy next to you, that that makes a difference. And how do you get that way? Well, you got to hang out with the guy. You got to go, you got to find out who he is. You got to have some fun. You got to experience things. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. we always managed, we, we had our fun, but we stayed out of trouble. You know, we never got in trouble. We just always had a lot of fun. Wow. So you played to the Rangers basically from 77 to 83. Then they traded you. Did you expect to be traded or did you really expect to be on the Rangers for pretty much your whole career? Cause I mean, you were, you were a fan favorite and you still are. To in 2022 i mean like you know you're still you're still considered one of the top 100 greatest rangers of all time i didn't i didn't expect to be traded but i wasn't surprised when i got traded uh herb brooks for whatever reason just didn't like my style he didn't mind it on the ice because my first season i scored 40 goals right uh and i don't know if he disliked me personally i think he just disliked who i was Mm -hmm. you know he'd have to read about me in page six uh and I don't know if, and I don't think he thought of me as a, as bad for the team. Mm-hmm. He, Herb was Herb. He was early in his uh, coaching career in the NHL, mm-hmm. dealing with men versus mm-hmm. boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would love to ask if he was still alive. I would love to ask Herb, do, do you really think looking back, that was the right thing for you to do to trade me? Because I went off, when I got traded to Detroit, I was a point of game for three years. Right. And did he have any regrets? I don't know. I would love to have been able to ask him that. So I wasn't shocked and it wasn't the worst thing for me because I was in the middle of my career. And uh, when I got to Detroit, it forced me to really bear down and be a player. And so the late nights and the partying, a lot of that, all of that went away. And so I really, I got the best out of myself as far as a player. Mm hmm. Um, so it's not the worst thing that happened, but yes, I would have loved to, I'd love to be able to say that I played at least 10 years for the New York Rangers. I was that guy. I should have played 10 years of New York Ranger. And for me today, that would make a difference when you say I played 10 years for one team, right? 10 or 12 seasons, it goes a long way, but for the, for the, you know, seven, eight years I was there, I did, I did come back in the last two years. Didn't mean a whole lot because I had lost some confidence. I didn't play that well. My first years, my first six were really good. So um, 
Yeah, it's it's just that's life, though, in general. You have good bounces, bad bounces. Good things happen. Bad things happen. Uh, I don't hold it against her Brooks, you know, that he traded me. Um, I just, you know, I look back just very fortunate that I got to have that time in New York. Those six years. Uh, I can write a book for every month I was in New York. <laughs> I can only imagine leaving New York City and then going to a, a team like Detroit. And it's just like night and day, like the nightlife in New York. And then you go to Detroit, which is just like, what do you even do when you get there? Like, you have to play hockey. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> There's right? Correct. Well, I met a woman that I I met a woman that I ended up marrying that I guess the timing was right. And so I started to feel like I, it, it felt like this is the thing to do, right? I got to bear down, be an athlete. Mm-hmm. And one thing that would help is to get married, stay out of the bars. And so it all felt, and once you get married, you don't need a lot of entertainment. If you're happy with your wife, right. you can stay at home, watch a movie and have a dinner. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I had good teammates in Detroit, like Stevie Eisman was my centerman. Stevie Wise. Johnny O'Gronick on my left side. Brad mm-hmm. Park was there. Uh, it was a, it was a fun team. And then in comes Probert and Kosher and uh, Teddy Nolan, um, Barry Melrose, uh, Daryl Sittler made a stop there. So we had an interesting team. Um, so I didn't mind my time in Detroit other than, you know, Detroit in the wintertime. It's probably not the most pleasant place to be, but it was all about hockey. So when you left the league, um, I mean, how old were you when you retired from the NHL? I was 32. You were, you were a young man. Was that something you just felt like you weren't um, up to playing pro anymore or something? What, did you, what, was, what was the purpose of retiring so young? Well, I, I didn't want to retire. I just, I went on and continued to play. I went to Germany. I went to experience playing European hockey. Mm-hmm. I was invited to go there. And that was, that was, um, Something that I, I think that most NHLers have to have an opportunity to go play in Europe because it's so different. Mm-hmm. European fans is a different fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rink, I played in Mannheim, Germany, and the rink itself was a half rink. So it just had the roof and the sides were open. Oh, wow. And people are sitting up in the stands drinking uh, the drums. And uh, and the league itself was like playing pond hockey, unlike playing the NHL where everyone's trying to hurt each other. Right. So I got to experience that, which I don't regret doing that. And... Um, and so, no, I wasn't ready to retire. Wow. So then after all that, you coached a little bit, right? Is that true? Right. Did I read that correctly? Minor I did. Uh, well, I did. Right. So I moved to, I ended up moving to Jacksonville. I followed my wife mm-hmm. to Jacksonville, Florida. And I was there and I still was um, playing the men's league, just having fun. I was in good shape and they had a minor league team there and they were short players. They didn't ask me to come out and play occasionally because I could just fill in. And for me, it was something that I was still healthy enough to do. And I was on the team and towards the end of the scene, they ended up firing their coach. And they said, Juan, do you mind taking over tomorrow Wow! after being a player and being teammates to these boys? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't something that I thought I was wanting to do, but I'd spent a lot of time teaching and coaching young kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, this is a good test. It's only 12 games to go in the season. Let's give it a try. And it's funny how I went from one day being a player to the next day, I had to put my coach's hat on. Uh, And then you find out what's in you. What is it that you know about the game? What is it that you know about managing a team? What is it that you know how to coach a team, run a practice? And so this had to come out of me pretty quick. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I I finished the season off with the Bad News Bears hockey team where they were pretty bad, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I I managed I managed to get the best out of them, and I I managed I was able to see what works and what doesn't work, and so I finished the season off, and then they offered me the following season, and that's when I realized that if I'm going to do this, I need a good assistant. Good assistants um, make a big difference in the coaching business. It's like in any business, right? right? If you're a CEO, you want to have a person next to you that you can talk to that has good ideas, can help you, that's honest with you. And so I found a good assistant. And then I was able to get all of my type of players. And so I recruited a bunch of guys that had speed mm-hmm. and that had some character, had a little bit of heart, but mainly speed. And because I realized the imports, the difference it made for me. So then I started recruiting players that had a lot of speed. And sure enough, I had a good coach, ran some good practices, and I ran a, I won a championship in my first season right out of wow. the gate. Wow. So um, so I did that for four years. And, it, and you realize coaching is, and I was coaching and manager, I was doing both. You realize it's a difficult business at the minor league level. Mm-hmm. So either you're going to stay at the minor league level and do or you're going to get up to the NHL level. Well, right. after four seasons, I had taken a break because I needed a break. And then I'd, I'd been offered a job to work at MSG or come and test for the job at MSG. So I went into the test and gave me the job right away. So then there you go. I did another 12 years of doing MSG TV. So you're back with the Rangers, which is good. That's a good job. Um, one last, one last question. I know we're short on time. Do you think the Rangers are a contender this year? I was at, I was just at the past two games between, um, Tampa Bay and Edmonton. They look like they're for real. Do you think they have a shot at the cup? Well, they're in the top six for consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know what I know about playoff hockey. Of course. It's a different season. Mm-hmm. You can finish at the top of the league, but once you get into playoff hockey, things change. You, you'll know the better coaches will make a difference. And so when you look at the Rangers, Gerard Gallant, is he capable of coaching in the playoffs? Well, yeah, he's done it. Mm-hmm. He's gone to the finals. So coaching I think is, is solid. The other thing is goaltending. You, you can't win with average goaltending. You have to have good goaltending. In fact, you'll, at certain times, you need great goaltending. When the team is a little bit off, your goaltender needs to hold the fort. And so uh, Shesterkin, if is if he's healthy, um, he could be that goaltender because we've seen it. So goaltending could be solid. You need scoring. Obviously, they can score. They're probably averaging over three goals a game. Then you need to defend. Can you defend? Well, they have shown that they can. The last couple of months, they've been a better team because the team is playing better as a team. Could they add a couple of players to make a difference? Yes. Yes. They could possibly add another big solid defenseman, a top four, or maybe a, somewhere in the six, but a big guy with some strength. Mm-hmm. And then could they use another sentiment possibly, or, or another top six forward so that they could find a way to get something better on the top six forward and something on somewhere in the top six defense. Yes. And then my real concern, my big concern with the Rangers, if Shesterkin gets hurt, and they're a couple rounds into the playoffs, Shesterkin gets hurt, who's your backup? Who's the guy that's going to come in in these tough games, let's say in the third round, 
to be Sisterkin. Well, they don't have that guy. Georgiev is not that guy. He's and again, he, he, he's not that guy. He's had some games. He's had some games where he showed signs of being decent. Mm-hmm. But that was against some weaker teams. That mm-hmm. was against some – that was in games where the team was scoring three, four goals. Right. I don't believe he's that guy. So that's my concern. I think at the trade deadline, they need to find a better backup goaltender. You don't want it to cost you very much. If you can give up a third-round pick, possibly a, a decent minor league player, but he's not even a starter in the NHL. He's barely an average goaltender. Wow. And I like the kid. I just don't think he's capable of doing it if he had to. Wow. Strong words from Ron Duguay, but the man knows the game. So what can we say? Right. Well, you asked me a question. I'll give you the uh, honest answer. I, and I love that about you. That's when people I've watched your uh, podcast, uh, people go on, uh, you go on people's podcast. They ask you questions and you answer it honestly. And that's, that's what I love about it. But uh, Ron, I thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on my show. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, let's go Rangers. Hopefully. All right. All the best with your show and hi to Lauren for me. You got it. Thank you, Ron. All right.